0: He's a good, good God, <laughs> Hallelujah. and we're loved by him. That's who we are. Hallelujah. You, so church. good to become reacquainted with Sean Johnson. Went to our church at June Rose in Sepulpa. So honored to have you here tonight. Amen. Aerobics. You know, we're not talking about exercise. We're talking about people who ran in the Bible, okay? Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about those people that ran. They ran for something or to something. They ran away from something. They ran for causes. Many people ran for lots of things. But tonight, I'm going to come to probably the most obvious person or people who ran. And throughout Jesus' ministry, there were people who ran, all right? All right? At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, people seemed to do things in a hurry. Suddenly, okay, they ran. He would say, follow me, and they would drop their nets. And I don't picture them just dropping their nets, but I can see them putting on their garments and things because they were getting ready to do some traveling. They probably didn't have time to go pack their bags all the time. And he called them and he said, follow me, and immediately... They dropped their nets. So I'm not thinking that they're delaying anything. Perhaps they're even jogging, running to follow Jesus, okay? Um, the call to Jesus just caused an immediate reaction. It still does. When Jesus is calling people, it calls for an immediate reaction from people, a decision, if you will. You remember when the Scripture said the whole town went out to meet him? Okay? I don't think they just kind of ambled out there. I believe they got out there as quickly as they could. Then there was running away from him as well. After his arrest, what did the disciples do? They ran away, right? (laughs) They hid. And I don't think they did it slowly. They did it quickly, okay? And if we'll all be honest with ourselves, it's kind of our story too. Perhaps when we came to Jesus, we ran to him. He called us and he called into our spirit and we just went as fast as we could to embrace Jesus into our life. But perhaps we were like the disciples and after we had known him a while, there were times when we ran away just like those who were closest to him. And as we go through this story today, I invite all of you to enter into the story and identify with it in a way where you're there. You're identifying with the people who ran in Jesus' ministry. This story that I'm going to relate to you in just a second is a story of inspiration. But it's a story of fear. It's a story of glory. But it has shame, just like our story. John 20, and verse 1 says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw strips of linen lying there, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, Separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, as far as the disciples were concerned, this revolution that they had been a part of and still didn't completely understand was over. They were in hiding, okay? And when a revolution in those days was over, it wasn't like a ball game where there were two opponents that were going at one another. It wasn't like the Dodgers and the Brewers tonight in the seventh game of the National League series, okay? One of those is going to win that series tonight, and after the game, they'll all come together and they'll shake hands and they'll be buddies afterwards. That's not like the conflicts that they had back then. When the revelation was over, the loser was killed. They were in prison. They weren't treated nice. They weren't treated friendly. They didn't try to make amends with them. When that revolution no, it was over, It's pretty much over for them. And these guys knew that this revolution that they had been a part of with Jesus is now over, and they're in hiding, and they're afraid. Wow. You know, when it's dark, and it was dark that night of this particular story, when it's dark, it's worse. Have you ever been in a place of fear and anxiety? When you wake up in the middle of the night and that fear and that anxiety grips you, it grasps your heart because you you don't really know what to do. The one Jesus loved, you know, and it's believed, probably it's very widespread that John wrote the gospel, and he calls himself, because he wrote the book of John, he calls himself the one Jesus loved. He referred to, it like be one of us saying, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Okay? It's almost as though he didn't love all the others, but he did love me. It's kind of an awkward thing to say. People come up to him and say, man, who are you? Well, I'm the one that Jesus loves, and this is my friend Peter. Mary Magdalene, let's get her. She's part of the story. She's a checkered, scandalized woman. She's the first to see the risen Jesus. And isn't it interesting that in those days, the testimony of a woman was not used in court, they couldn't testify. I can't explain it. Ladies, maybe you can explain it better than I. And if I tried to explain it, you'd all be mad at me. But the women couldn't testify in court. Their testimony wasn't deemed honorable. I don't know why. Okay? Anyway, she was the first one to see the risen Lord. And I think that's really interesting because when we go back to the advent of Christ, when he came into this world, there was another group of people that their testimony was not allowed in the courts. And it was the shepherds. They were unworthy. They were lowly. You didn't accept the word of a shepherd. And they're the first ones to see Jesus alive in this earth, the Messiah, to people that are unworthy. They're known as liars, but Jesus appears to them first, the first at the incarnation and the first at the resurrection by two groups of people that their testimony was unreliable in court and wouldn't be allowed. I just find that interesting. First to see, but would not be allowed to testify legally at the birth or the resurrection of Christ. This is the gospel. This is John's gospel. And it's really interesting because it reaches to the farthest corners of this universe, of this earth, and it brings us to the center, the people that are unworthy, people considered unreliable. People who are not respected. And he says, you know, it doesn't matter to me because you are loved by me. And I care for you. Wow. We're shepherds. (laughs) We're women. (laughs) He pulled us all in to the center and said, you're worthy. Wow. Peter and John are running now. Mary's given them the report and Peter and John are running. And apparently Peter was a little fat guy. Cuz John beat him to the tomb. Beats him to the tomb, he could run faster than Peter. You know, but Peter caught up to him and saw John peering into the tomb. John may have been faster, but he was afraid and fearful. He's peeking into the tomb, and Peter goes, get out of the way, fat boy. No. Peter was a fat guy. Get out of the way. And he walks right into the tomb. He's not afraid. And then John followed him in. I think that's kind of interesting myself. John is faster. Peter is braver. And they go back to where they're staying. And they were filled with hope. Man, they were excited, but they're also filled with fear. Do you get it? Do you identify with that? They're filled with hope. They're so excited, you know, but they're still that thing. I'm still filled with fear. Have you been that place where that tension exists in your life? You know, between hope and fear? They're sharing that same place in your heart and in your head. Can you share that with Peter and John at all? I can. And I'm going to skip over a little bit, we're going to go to verse 19. Verse 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples, they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive one another's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgive them, forgiven. Do you notice that where he says to them twice, peace? Peace? <laughs> peace, brothers. Jesus didn't have anywhere to live. Apparently he had long hair. He's the world's first hippie, I guess. He goes, peace, brothers. Hey, peace, you know. Sometimes Jesus has to say things twice to his disciples. Sometimes he has to repeat things over and over in our lives as well. We're no different. But those that are sitting in the room are sitting there hoping the news was true. Maybe they were thinking like you and I after a funeral service of somebody that we dearly love. Maybe we're caught in a position where we're by ourselves. And has ever anybody been to a funeral where there wasn't deviled eggs? (laughs) But maybe you're over by yourself and you got a few dozen deviled eggs in front of you. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm hurting. The one I loved is not here anymore. And how? I would love to hear their voice. But I sure do love these deviled eggs. We're enjoying the deviled eggs, enjoying the taste of it. We're thinking about the loved ones gone before. And we can almost in our mind hear them speak. We eat a little more deviled egg. We listen to maybe what they would say to us. Well, this is what's going on here in this room. Maybe they're, I don't know if they're having deviled eggs or not. Maybe they're having a pita tuna sandwich. I don't know. But they're eating. They're sitting around, they're fearful, hopeful, but fearful. And all of a sudden, the one they hoped they would hear from again is standing in their midst and he's speaking into their lives. He goes, Peace, brothers. Peace be with you. Then they realize this isn't a dream, this is real. Jesus is in the room. What would we say to our loved ones that have gone on if suddenly they were in the room with us? We probably wouldn't want to say anything. We'd probably want to hear everything that they had to say because we wanted to hear that voice one more time. And that's what the disciples are sitting there doing. This man, this man. This man who gave us hope and brings us hope today is standing in our room. We never thought we'd hear his voice again, and he's speaking. I'm hanging on every word that he says. Wow. You know, Have you ever been in that place where somebody is talking to you? and some, Maybe somebody you care about. They're talking to you, and somewhere in the middle of the conversation, and you don't know exactly where, it was, but you get tired head, and you stop paying attention, and you start thinking about something completely. You're thinking about, it's Taco Tuesday today at the, on the border. I think I'll eat lunch there. <laughs> or you may be thinking, maybe I've got to go home and I rearrange my sock drawer, and you can hear tones coming at you, but you're not really putting together the words. They're not meaning anything to you. And all of a sudden, they say, well, what do you think about that? Have you been there? And you go, ah, could you repeat yourself? You say that so well. I'd like to hear it again. I don't think that was the case with the disciples that night. Jesus came into the room, and the words that they longed to hear, he began to speak. And I believe they were hanging on every word that he said. Now, there's just a short little passage here. He didn't say a whole lot of things. And it's possible that John didn't record everything that he said in that room that night, but I don't think so. I think he recorded every word that Jesus said because he loved him so much, and he was so hopeful. I believe he pinned it all right here. Hmm. But the one thing that was not a word, but it was an action, that I find so beautiful here is this. Scripture says there, He breathed on them. He breathed on them. (laughs) He said, here, guys, peace, brothers. And He breathed on them. He said, I want you to have this breath. I want you to have this sacred wind. I want you to receive this life that I'm breathing on you. I want you to receive the thing that the anima, that animates you. I want you to receive the things that you will be power, will make you powerful. I want you to receive the air of eternity into your life. Yes. He breathed on him. Where have we heard that before? Let's rewind all the way back to Genesis and creation. At the beginning, he took the man and he Fashioned to be shaped him, and he did it perfectly. And I don't believe that design has changed. And guess what? God created you and me to be eternal beings. Yes. There's no design in you that there should be any death. Did you know that? But you know sin. But he fashioned you, and then the scripture says he breathed life into Adam. (laughs) He breathed life into him. We have breath at creation, and we have breath at recreation. We have breath at birth. We have breath at rebirth. Everything has now been made right because he breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples. We have a choice at the rebirth and God covers us for eternity if we choose to do it right. He will be with us in this life, and on that day we are called into accountability, we won't be alone because He has breathed the breath of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Wow. This is profoundly important. We've got to know this. Okay? It's important to the mother and the father who've lost a child. It's important to children who've lost the parent. It's important to the spouse who has lost their partner for life. Paul said, Paul said, the resurrection of the dead is a bunch of baloney. This is pre-recreation. He said it's a bunch of baloney, but all of a sudden, he had an encounter with the resurrected Lord who breathed the breath of life into him. And it completely changed his perspective. He knocked him down out of his horse. He, he, he blinded him. He was healed. And he went into the desert, and the Holy Spirit ministered to him and touched him and changed his life. And that's what happens when we come into contact with the risen Savior. Did it change you? I'm concerned about the regeneration of what we call regeneration in the church now. Because people are saying they're coming into contact with the one who breathes the breath of life. The risen Savior into them. And there's no change. It's akin to having a Christless Pentecost. encounter with the Savior changes you. It makes you run. <laughs> it makes you run to Him or it'll make you run away from Him. Yes. But it changes you. Isn't that what changed it all for you and I? We had an encounter encounter, and we believed. move on. Forgive. This is Jesus speaking. Forgive and they are forgiven. Don't forgive and they are not forgiven. Sometimes when I read that, the next words that come out of my mouth are kind of like duh. Forgive and they are forgiven. Don't forgive and they are not forgiven. What's going on here? What's going on here is a transference of power. And you know what? When you came into contact with the testator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, he gives you power because he breathes that power into you. You have been given keys. You know, you thought you were just a bunch of kids and you're muddling through life. But you have now been given a power and a responsibility. It's now in your hands. Are you going to forgive or will you not forgive? You see what Jesus is doing here? Okay? He's saying you'll now be doing my work here on the earth. What will you do with this authority and power? Now this is not about you being able to take his place in forgiveness. Okay? Okay? But what he's really doing, he's taking us back to the cross. That place where he hung in shame and his life's blood ebbed out of his body for the forgiveness of sin for every one of us throughout all of eternity. That's what he's doing. He's taking us back to the cross and he's hanging there on the cross. They're gambling from his clothes. They've stripped him completely nude, suffering the worst shame that you can imagine and the worst pain that he could possibly endure. And he looks down at him and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. He's taking them back to the cross. And he says, you can either forgive, and they'll be forgiven, or you can not forgive and they won't be forgiven. He also tells us through the Scriptures in different passages, if you do not forgive, you cannot be forgiven. Never once did Jesus Christ reference those brutal butchers who so abused him. The rest of his time that's on the earth and throughout all Scripture never referred once to them in a negative light. That's forgiveness. And he says you got to forgive. And it's in your hands. And it's the crux of your rebirth in Jesus Christ. If you don't forgive, I'm sorry. I can't forgive you. That's what I'm all about. I'm forgiving those people who don't deserve to be forgived according to you. But I forgive them. Those people that we think are unlovable, those people that we think are untouchable, those people that we think are unreachable, those things, those people that have mortally wounded you, almost ruined your life, created havoc that is unimaginable in your mind, And you're hurt, and you're wounded, and you're in pain, even tears. And he says, forgive them. Forgive them. Boy, that's tough. That's that's really tight living. It's tight, but it's right. say, this isn't me. I want to blame it on the Scripture. You know how that goes? i want to throw this off of me. But I'm just trying to be a tool. Now, I'm not that complicated. Okay? I'm not a tool for Jesus. I, I, I'm kind of more simple. I'm two-dimensional. I'm a pipeline. i just, a pipeline. It's got an outside so I can contain the information and just a passage through which that information flows. It's that's as simple as it gets. Not a tool, just a pipe. And I'm a pipeline for the Word to flow to you. And I'm begging with you. <laughs> Lay it down. Lay it all down to cross. Say, Lord, I have this power. You gave me the power. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He breathed power into us so we could forgive would you say?